Welcome to the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. We're going to explore ways to sharpen our diagnostic skills, find learning resources, and hear from experts in the automotive field. Hey, what's up, automotive world? This is Sean Tipping with another episode of the Automotive Diagnostic Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Before we get going with today's show, uh, I wanted to make an announcement. Uh, We are fast approaching January 16th, which uh, probably doesn't mean much to you, but that is the one-year anniversary of when I started this podcast. Uh, I started it on January 16, 2020. That was the first episode, Um, you know, the infamous year that everybody's enjoyed so much. Uh, But I'll tell you what, making this podcast, developing this content has been really fun. It's a lot of work, but it doesn't really feel like work. Because uh, I've you know I've gotten to share uh, what I do out in the automotive field, what I really enjoy, uh, share my passion for it, but also getting to talk to extremely intelligent people in this industry, leaders of this industry. Uh, that has been very rewarding in itself, just to get to sit down and have conversations uh, with these people. So uh, you know, there's more to come. This is going to keep growing and. Uh, the other thing that I appreciate is all the feedback that I've gotten as well from all the listeners and just all the people listening in general. I- I'm glad that people are actually getting some value out of this and that hopefully this improves the industry, you know, in some small way. So thank you to you, the listeners, uh, for actually tuning in and, <laughs> you know, downloading, listening to the podcast. Um, can't say enough about that. And on that note, uh, to celebrate the one year anniversary, I'm going to be doing a giveaway. And what I'm going to be giving away is a U-scope. And you've heard me talk about this before. If you haven't, check it out on ASEWave.com because that's where this thing is from. And I use this thing all the time. It is a one-channel scope, and it's awesome uh, because it's easy to use. It's very high quality, and it fits in your pocket. I think every technician out there should have one of these. I think, you know, even just starting out, I think you should have one of these. Uh, It is a really powerful tool. But um, I'm going to be giving one of these away. Now, how do you win this? What am I going to be doing? It's going to be a drawing. How do you get entered into the drawing? What I'm going to be doing is giving this away to somebody who is up and coming or maybe new to this industry, um, even somebody who's just, you don't have necessarily have to be new, but somebody who is looking to improve their skills to become better in the diagnostic side of this field, to not just be a parts changer, to not just be a quote unquote mechanic, um, but you want to improve your skills. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, that's probably already you. Uh, what this is not geared towards is the 20 year vet who has already has four scopes. Uh, you probably don't need a sco- U-scope or you probably already have one. I'm looking to give this away to somebody who it's genuinely going to advance their career. It's really going to help them. So um, how you enter your name into the drawing, which will be uh, drawn right around January 16th, whatever episode is closest to that date. Um, I need your name, obviously. Uh, I'd like to know how long you've been in this industry, the automotive field. And I also want to know what drives you 
to be the best that you can be in this field? And that doesn't have to be an extremely long answer, but I'd like to know what that is. And you meet all those criteria, um, I'll put your name into the drawing. You can also nominate someone else. Maybe you know somebody um, who maybe doesn't listen to the podcast. You should recommend they listen to the podcast, but um, maybe they don't want to nominate themselves and you can nominate them. And that's totally fine. So in that case, you would list what drives them to be the best that they can be. What do you see in them? And I'd like to know that. Um, and then your name will be put into a pot. We'll do a drawing and then I'll send that you scope out to you. No strings attached. That's it. So check out the show notes. I'll have all the details in there and what you need to do. Check out the Facebook page. I'll have all the details on there on what you need to do. On to the episode for today. Today I have Chris Groff joining me. And if you're not familiar, uh, Chris is an extremely intelligent individual. I was really honored to get to sit down and talk with him today. It was uh, it was really enjoyable. I actually, uh, you know, I edited the the episode and I enjoyed it just as much the second time around as the first time. Uh, he's a really smart guy who's got a passion for the diagnostic side of this field and farm equipment, heavy equipment. I mean, he's got a wide range of expertise, as you'll find out as you listen to this talk. Um, and he actually has a YouTube channel, which is named The Science of Diagnostics. And I'll put the link to that as well in the show notes. Please check that out. Really, really high quality videos uh, with uh, some uh, some stuff that'll make you think. Um, he has a very good thought process as he goes through these vehicles. So I'm really excited to have Chris on the podcast today. Let's jump right into it. Well, how's it going, Chris? Uh, not too bad. How are you today, Sean? Yeah, I can't can't complain. Doing good. Uh, yeah. Thanks for joining me on the show here. Absolutely. Well, why don't we start off with uh, just tell me and the listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do in the automotive field and elsewhere. Uh, so I started out originally, first job was at a golf course, cutting grass. And uh, the mechanic there just kind of, I've always taken things apart, put them back, well, tried to put them back together. That normally <laughs> took a little longer, but always liked knowing how things worked. And the mechanic there started teaching me sharpening, you know, real mowers, tuning up the engines. And I found I enjoyed doing that a lot more than anything else I was doing there. Ended up getting a job at a local gas station, annoyed the crap out of all the mechanics there all the time. <laughs> and it just kind of built from there. Uh, I ended up going to Penn College of Technology up in Williamsport, Pennsylvania for a Caterpillar diesel. So I was in the diesel world for a while working on construction equipment. Uh, took a little break from automotive and equipment. Went into restaurant equipment repair because I wanted to learn about HVAC stuff. So okay. took a little side note, came back in, worked for uh, John Deere uh, for a dealership for about five years. And that kind of petered out. And then I got a, actually from uh, Brandon Steckler, was talking to him the one day and he's like, hey, you know, this shop I was at, last shop I was at, they're looking for a guy. I was like, I'll go down and talk to him. And that's how I ended up here. I'm at a Lycon Auto in Bristol, PA. And it worked out, worked out really, really good. So I've kind of bounced through every aspect of the industry. I mean, I've done trash trucks, fire trucks, over the road, construction equipment, farming equipment, automotive. So I've, I've seen the pluses and minuses of every side of the industry. And 
it's it's been fun. Yeah, that's a that's a wide range of of different things to <laughs> to to you know overcome. I'm sure there's challenges and you know, good things to all of it, uh, but to see that that wide range, I'm, I'm sure that probably helps you out a lot. No matter which one you focus on, I mean, if it's just automotive, I would imagine you can pull from your experience from all of that stuff to help you fix a you know light duty truck or car. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's uh, you'll hear it a lot. You know, there's there's the basics. It's basic mechanical principles, basic laws of physics, uh, Ohm's law, Kirchhoff's law, uh, Pascal's law. I mean, they govern everything. So yeah, okay, you're doing a misfire on a three quarter of a million dollar combine. It's still an engine. It's still got pistons, still got rods, still got the same basic technology. So you can pull from different things. And like uh, the automotive world, just in the past, what's it, five, 10 years, really getting into GDI, you know, high pressure fuel systems, it's on some technicians for a loop. Diesel world's had that for decades, higher, higher fuel pressure. So, you know, you can pull from diesel to do this. You can pull a lot of the testing techniques, the scope techniques, the scan tool techniques that are very commonplace and very well taught in the automotive industry really haven't made it that far into medium heavy duty off-road you know scope testing is is non-existent in a lot of it um i went to a lot of john deere training uh the only time you would ever even hear the word scope was when they were showing you a scope capture of a, a cam bus network and they're saying basically it's either good or it's not you don't need this so you know things like uh, rc tests um, cam crank correlations, which is incredibly commonplace in automotive. Diesel world really wasn't doing that. And they're still not to the level the automotive is, but, you know, knowing something as simple as a cam crank correlation, uh, certain skid steers I used to work on to check timing on it to make sure your cam gear hadn't spun approximately 32, 35 hours to pull the engine out, pull the front cover, check the timing, put it back together. Or you do an RC and a cam crank correlation 15 minutes later, boom, done. Yeah. Holy cow. Um, I know, you know, I I have extremely limited experience with like the heavy duty or especially the farm equipment. But I remember one time I was working in a shop and uh, I'm kind of out in the sticks and somebody brought a big tractor that had a, you know, it had the enclosed unit up front where the, where the driver would sit and there was actually mm-hmm. air conditioning in there and they wanted their AC charged. And I'm like, well, I don't know how to work on a tractor, but I looked and it still had the 134, you know, yep. ports on it. I'm like, okay, well, I guess, I guess this is actually the same. And, you know, I found throughout my career, if you take a growth mindset into this stuff and you're like, okay, let me, let me take what I already know and apply it to this other area. It's really, it's really not that different. Again, like you said, the basics still apply to all this stuff. Uh, electricity doesn't care if it's a big tractor or a Honda or whatever. You can still apply the same stuff. So uh, I know for me at one point in my career, I was scared of taking on something new because it wasn't what I was taught or familiar with. But you can you can learn this stuff, <laughs> especially in the automotive world. You weren't you actually just in the auto world. I think you learn such a wide range of topics and skills that man you can apply this to so many different things i fixed my furnace a couple weeks ago i know nothing about furnaces but i had a voltmeter and i figured it out (laughs) i was like okay cool this isn't so bad (laughs) 
Yeah. And that's uh, one of the things I've built and everything I do off of is you can pull from everything, any experiences in your life, everything kind of is interrelated to some degree or another. I mean, even carpentry skills, plumbing skills, all this, there are times where those techniques, those skills, even that troubleshooting process you would use for it can translate in over into other things. Uh, doing field work for John Deere and doing some mobile stuff and everything else, there are times you don't have the right tool. You don't have this, you don't have that. You don't have, you know, you're pulling a, a final drive off of a bulldozer and your crane on your truck goes down. You can still do it. There's ways around it. And it's always, I guess I got myself into trouble situations quite a bit because I never said no to anything. I didn't, Oh, it's been at a shop for a year. It's all torn apart. Yeah, okay, we'll give it a shot. At the end of the day, it's nuts and bolts. It's simple rules, and you can work your way through it. Uh, the biggest thing for me, because I'd work on, I took on steam engines. If I can get service info for it, that's where I'm going for it. Okay. Even And even some stuff, you can work backwards. I mean, to be successful in... As a technician, be it automotive, heavy-duty diesel, whatever, all the guys really share and girls share the same general mindset, which is logical troubleshooting, being able to apply skills, and being able to work through things. I mean, if you have the core basics of being a mechanic, it doesn't matter what it is. You can work on it. If somebody comes in tomorrow with a horse and buggy, you can fix it, just like you can fix with the proper training a fully autonomous vehicle coming down the road in five, 10 years. As long as you have, like you said, that growth mindset and a desire to succeed, you'll be able to do it. Yeah. It's almost like you build a confidence in yourself that you can learn something new and not be scared of that new thing because, well, I've never done this before. Let's send it to the dealer or I don't know, maybe you work at the dealer, you don't have that choice, but mm -hmm. I worked in the aftermarket and that was a lot of attitudes. Heck, it was my attitude some of the time, but you get that confidence to say, yeah, I can, I can figure this out. I'm not scared of tackling this new thing that I haven't seen before because I've done it before on so many other things. And the more you go along, the more you realize, okay, well, this isn't that big of a deal. I'm just going to learn it. I'm going to seek out that information, find that service information or do whatever other research you need to online and, and figure it out. But I mean, for somebody that's new, that's starting in this field, um, I think that's pretty eye-opening <laughs> for them to realize mm -hmm. that they can figure this out. They can tackle something new. And the more you do it, the easier it gets, I, I think, anyways. But still get yeah. my butt kicked on lots of stuff all the time. So who knows? <laughs> oh, I do as well. But, you know, just working in a lot of different shops. I mean, when I was learning, I remember how awesome it felt. To, even stupid things. The first time you get a wheel that's stuck to a hub and everybody else knows quick tap here, boom. But the first time you get it, you're like, yeah, I did it. And it builds up. And as you take on bigger and bigger challenges, there's that feeling. But what's even cooler is once I started to, build my skill set and do more having other people in the shop. When you get a chance to teach them something or explain something, walk through a diag, walk through, you know, a shortcut and seeing that light go off. That's just, it's what even cooler than doing it yourself is helping somebody else achieve that same level. And I've always, to me, that's actually more enjoyable. Oh, I a hundred percent agree. That's, that's why 
I went into teaching is, you know, cause I'd be in the shop and I liked helping people. And it's tough when you're on flat rate because you're generally sacrificing your productivity if you're taking your time to help somebody else. But I enjoyed it that much. Like, yeah, not just doing it for them, but helping them understand or helping them build their skills. That is such a satisfying feeling to be able to do that. And yeah, now, now that I'm in the teacher role at the community college, it's so cool. I mean, I, sometimes I think I'm like, gosh, I get paid to do this. This is crazy. It's a mm-hmm. lot of work, but I mean, it's, it's such a um, rewarding uh, career. Uh, I, I love it. I think it's awesome. Yeah. It's uh, I mean, I know just a little bit of training I was doing uh, when I was with deer building stuff for the shop, pulling guys aside, you know, this guy needs a little help here, there, even going to training classes. I found a lot of times, you know, during lunch breaks or as we're going through something, I found I was constantly teaching somebody this or that, or maybe rephrasing what an instructor said. And I found I really did enjoy teaching. And so, you know, I started, uh, I started a YouTube thing a while ago just to do John Deere stuff. Cause there's not a whole lot out there. And meeting people in the industry, one thing led to another. I got more opportunities to do some training. And it doesn't matter how bad of a day I've had, how backed up on work or anything else. All of it's kind of worth it when I can put together a little thing or even just teach somebody in 10, 15 minutes a little tip. It is. It's ridiculously rewarding. And I'm not even doing it as a full-time gig. I can only imagine seeing students come and go year after year, how much satisfaction you get. And then having them, you know, five, 10, 15 years down the road, seeing some starting their own shops, being successful. I mean, that's, it's a lasting legacy. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, getting, you know, helping them get their career going and provide for themselves, uh, and or their families. Um, I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. Um, yeah, your, uh, YouTube channel, uh, I was actually watching a few videos on there. That's stuff's Ooh. awesome. Uh, you got, you got a passion for, uh, you know, the diagnostic side of things, uh, which is really cool. Cause I, I feel the same way. Obviously I spend all my time podcasting about it. So <laughs> I think it's no secret that I love this stuff too. Um, what do you think that is about the diagnostic side of things, whether it be automotive or farm equipment that you love so much? Well, when I first started out working on anything, I was all thumbs. You know, I would struggle getting ratchets, wrenches in the right places, learning all that. But one thing I always kind of noticed was I could always figure out a way to get a job done. And I always liked challenges, puzzles, all that. And as time went on, like when I first started, I didn't know there was diagnostics. I didn't know there was a thing. I just knew car would come in, customer had a complaint mechanic would order some parts and we put the parts on and it's good. I, you know, and there were a lot of old timers I worked with who were the guys who could say, you know, listening to a carbureted vehicle, uh, you know, just tweak that a little bit here and perfect. Or, you know, hear a car start up and be like, yeah, it needs timing chains or it's this. I didn't have that experience. I didn't have that skill set, And so I started doing some research, talking to people and all, and I found out about this thing called diagnostics, you know, that fancy computer box they're hooking up. It's actually giving them info and they're putting the pieces together to form a complete picture. And 
that's how I got started. But even that, the earliest guys I learned from were very basic scan tool users. It was still very much uh, not so much parts throwing. There was a little bit of diagnostics behind it, but it would be years until I started Scanner Danner and others started coming across, oh, they have lab scopes. You can do ignition tests. And I'm like, well, this is kind of awesome because now I don't need my 35 years of experience to be able to hear an ignition coil that's arcing somewhere. I can prove it. I can, I can prove it out in hard data, which is my big thing. I'm, I'm a big hard data guy. I'm a big service manual, documentation, schematics. You know, there's, you do gain a certain feel, but to me, diagnostics became the thing that kept me entertained. It was challenging but it also leveled my playing field because I could build these hard skills and really develop a sense of how everything worked. And then when I got a chance to repair it, I could build those. So it was, I'm not saying somebody can come in with six months of tech school and immediately become a diagnostic tech. But I think with all the technology, the education that's available out there, Facebook, YouTube, diag.net all over, we live in a completely different world where you can really accelerate almost any aspect of your training to whatever level you want in a relatively short amount of time compared to having to spend 10, 15, 20 years building it up before. Yeah, YouTube and social media groups and uh, you know the internet in general has expanded what's available to any technician in this field so much. Uh, I wish I had half the resources that we have now when I was first getting into this. I think IATN was the only thing around when I was first getting into the field and we utilize that and identifix and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. man, the, the, like you said, scanner Danner and you know, some of the awesome YouTube channels out there. It, it's so cool to be able to pull it from that information in order to, to grow your skills. But yeah, it's, you know, it's just, it, it is a challenging thing to do diagnostics. And I guess that's, that's part of what ke- keeps me coming back to it all the time is it forces me to keep growing and learning mm-hmm. and <laughs> getting challenged again and again. It's just not the, the, the same thing over and over again. You're always pushing yourself a little bit to be, to be better, to figure out this new uh, problem that you're presented with. And I do find it's um, at times it spoils me because I have a really bad problem when it comes to diagnostics. I will spend, I don't care how long it takes. I will find the problem if I can get approval. I mean, there's times where I know I'm running over my time. I stay late at night, do it on my own time, tested five, six, seven different ways. But honestly, the more I've gotten into diagnostics, once I have that problem sorted out, I don't care anymore. And that's been a struggle for me is getting to the, I mean, most of it I do. We've got uh, eight techs in the shop. So most of it is I'll blow out four or five diags, work gets divvied up, and I get the next batch of them. But sometimes I'm just like, all right, we know what the problem is. Cool. I'm, I'm done with the car. <laughs> yeah. I would make a terrible doctor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got, you got heart failure, right? See ya. <laughs> yeah, it's a... Uh, it's a lot of fun though. I mean, it really is. It's always challenging. There's always something new to learn. And it's, I mean, you could do 8 million network com diagnostics, but each one has its own little intricacies, little things. 
that are, you know, this may be acting up this way or this. And it, it's kind of cool. There is, there's still pattern failures, but there's, I don't know. Everyone to me is just a little different, even though I've seen it five, six, ten times. It's just that little bit of a difference. And then I enjoy, I like going back, looking over what I did and saying, okay, on the next one that's similar, instead of doing A, B, C, D, let me try doing C, F, H, Z. You know, let's see how many different ways we can do this and kind of get a better understanding of the system. That that right there is a powerful tool. Uh, if you can, you know, take the time to utilize it is analyzing your process and what you went through, uh, you know, documenting somehow uh, paper or electronically or even in your head, but I mm-hmm. think it's good to write it down somewhere um, and deciding, okay, what could I do better, more efficiently, more accurately the next time. Um, if you can do that, which it is time consuming. It, I mean, if you're on flat rates, you got to do that on your own time. Um, it, but the payback for that, I think is huge. So I, I think I would highly suggest that to anybody who's doing this stuff is even if you're just getting going, document what you did, go over it, say, can I do this better? Can I improve on this some way? Um, or one thing I like to do even in the moment, if I find, you know, you know, I get to my conclusion, I'm like, okay, this is the broken part. I like to say, how can I prove this thing out another way? You know, how could I do another test? I don't need to right now. I, I know this is the part that's failed, but how could I prove this another way with a different test, different method. Cause there might be at some point in some situation where you have to do that. So it's a good thing uh, to have in your arsenal, but yeah, that's, that's the sort of thing you gotta, you gotta spend that extra time if you want to improve your skills. Yeah. And that's uh, the way uh, Steckler always puts it is uh, three arrows in the target when you're, when you're doing a diagnosis. And that's exactly what you're saying is we proved it out this way. Can we prove it out two or three other ways? In order to, if all signs still point to that component, that's where we're at. And one thing I'll add is don't always, don't only analyze your own stuff. Analyze the case studies you're reading on Facebook, diag.net, the, the YouTube videos. Watch through them and then hit pause and go, so why did he do that there? What, what allowed him to make the jump from symptom A to looking at scan data or to grabbing a scope? You know, kind of sit there, write down notes, and how to put this. Uh, I spent a lot of time in the beginning getting involved in all this stuff, just on my own, not realizing there was a huge community out there to pull from. Uh, IATN I found later on in my journey, same with Diag.net and the others. Uh, YouTube was a huge, huge come up, and that was, you know, interacting with all sorts of people. But I spent a lot of time learning on my own and learning from mistakes, you know, reading service manuals, trying to piece it together. And I missed the whole social community component. And so I really push that on a lot of people now is, yeah, you can, you can do the research on your own, but interact with people, you know, get on, uh, you know, group chats, do Zoom meetings, do live streams, whatever, whatever you want to do, bounce some ideas around, have some fun, you know, do some, uh, we just did, I guess, about a year ago, a get-together up in Staten Island with a group of us and just a whole bunch of broken cars and everybody, let's go at it. How do you diag it? How do you? Let's work together. And I think that's kind of an underserved portion of the automotive community that we've only really been seeing more in recent years is that team building and that group 
groupthink kind of has a negative connotation to it, but grouping together, working through problems and passing on the knowledge. So, yeah, having a network is so powerful. Um, we did a get together like that uh, was about a month and a half ago around here. And there's only four or five of us, but it was so cool to all put our brains together on one car and see everybody's approach and see the thought process through it. Cause we all had different, you know, ways that we wanted to attack mm-hmm. this problem. We all had different tools or different methods or different uh, utilizations of the service information in order to attack what we were going after. And just seeing that, that was, that was a huge learning process mm-hmm. for me to see, wow, everybody's got a different way and I can pull from these and maybe they can pull something from mine. Um, yeah. I'd recommend anybody to do that or even, yeah, just get in contact with people. You don't have to be in, you know, physical (laughs) contact nowadays of course covid but um you can you can still reach out to people with all the tools we have with zoom and facebook and stuff which so cool that that's available to us yeah i i love it because a couple group chats i'm in you'll sit there and you'll have a little game somebody will give you symptoms and some codes and i mean it's just amazing to see six different completely different mindsets different sets of experiences and how they approach it. And I find myself more times than not going, I never would have thought of that, or I never would have made that jump, or, hey, I didn't even know that data PID existed, you know, or, you know, tooling functionality, whatever it may be. I think a lot of times we get caught up with, you need to have this scope, or you got to have this scan tool, or you got to have this, that, or the other thing. Once again, networking with the community, you can see the guy who's, you know, doing spot on diagnostics with, a $300 code scan or a scan tool, a test light and a few other things. And you can see the guy who's got, you know, $100,000 worth of diag equipment and both have valid points to their processes. And I, I like to say there is no one perfect process. It's really based on each individual. Like I, a lot of times I'll be run, running through something and start making connections. I can't explain right away. And I got to put the pieces together and I make jumps. The process I go through doesn't always work for the next guy. And his may not work for this person over there. But when you're networking, you can learn some of these different techniques and you pull them out of the hat as you need them. You know, there's a reason we have 10 different 916 wrenches. Same reason you've got 10 different diagnostic processes you can go through. You know, whatever best suits that situation. Yeah. And everybody's got their own life and career experience too. And I go to a lot of shops. I do my mobile thing and you go to some of these shops where you've got guys that are, they've been in the field for 20, 30 plus years. And, you know, maybe they're not the best at this can bus problem. That's not their thing, but they've got, you know, a lot of experience that I can't even fathom in a whole nother area. Like I go to a lot of transmission shops and I'll talk to these guys about transmissions because I I know very mm-hmm. little about the inner workings of transmission. I've built one in my entire life. So I talk to these guys about, okay, hey, you know, I had this uh, 4L60 is doing this the other day. What's going on with the hydraulics in this? And they know this thing like the back of their hand. And so being able to connect with people and pull, you know, off of their experience and share your own um everybody should be doing that if you're not <laughs> yeah yeah uh, i still uh triple counter shaft mac transmission 18 speeds i'll rebuild those all day long 
automatics? Nope. No, thank you. <laughs> and it is, it's, it's all hydraulics. I mean, once again, coming from equipment, doing a ton of hydraulic work, I'll read through an automatic transmission hydraulic schematic and service info. I get how the valves are working. I get the check valves and all that. But certain things, it just becomes too time-consuming at times for me to learn the entire transmission in my hour diag. And that's, once again, networking. You build up those relationships with the transmission guy or the engine guy or this guy. And then you're talking to them and everybody helps everybody because, you know, you diagnose that transmission. Well, that trans shop's going to be getting that job. You're not rebuilding it. So everybody wins. And that's kind of what the industry should be all about is no one person can take on every job. So let's just keep working together, learning from each other and building it up. I help you, you help him, he helps them. Everybody wins in the long run and we all get elevated. And that's really what it should be about. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, as long as, you know, as long as everybody's contributing, obviously, you know, mm-hmm. you, you've got to do your part. I think that that probably goes without saying, but uh, as long as someone's, you know, trying and they've done their legwork, um, I'll help anybody that's, that's looking for help. Um, definitely. That's, uh, and that's how I, I, I wish everybody would be like in this industry. Obviously, that's, you know, it's not the way it is everywhere, but uh, we can keep pushing, <laughs> trying yeah. to make it happen. Um. So I want to talk to you about your presentation at Vision last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't make it to to Vision last year, but I watched uh, what you had on YouTube from it. Um, or actually, it was the Train by Text. I think you yeah. did the, the, the same or similar presentation. But um, mm-hmm. what was that like <laughs> presenting <laughs> at Vision? I got to imagine that'd be really nerve-wracking with all the people in the room. Yeah, so it was... Um... It was actually uh, Jim Morton and Bryn Klein both messaged me on Facebook around the same time uh, that they first announced they were going to be doing this tech talks and they were looking for submissions. And I'm like, yeah, I'll I'll look into it. And I pulled the website up. And I mean, I dragged my feet. I did. I'm like, man, I've got nothing good enough for this. I mean, this is vision. This is the conference everybody goes to. And uh, between those two and a a couple others and a real close friend hounding me, it was, I want to say, two hours before this submission deadline. I finally submitted, you know, two ideas for it. And I didn't hear back right away. And then I got picked. So I'm like, okay, this is pretty cool. And it was, uh, I almost didn't make it to Vision. It was was a ride. I was all over the country. I was drove through the night to make it there, showed up late to my first class. Uh, all the train by tech guys were great and making sure everything got done. And it, it was a hell of a week and everything coming up to that Saturday, I'm getting more and more and more nervous. And I'm like, I got no clue how many people are going to be in the class. And I'm sitting there in the front with uh, Matt Fonslow and Bryn and Brian Collada and Richard Falco and all. And I'm like, one, these guys are all awesome. They're huge industry names. I'm lucky to just be sitting here. And then I start seeing the people wandering in. I mean, you've got uh, the t- some of the top trainers in the industry are all coming to sit there and watch us talk. And I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> it, it was like, I was hoping, you know, for me, if it was, you know, just a bunch of regular technicians and all it would have been a lot easier than standing in front of some of the absolute best in the industry like don't say something stupid don't say something stupid (laughs) but 
once I got up there, I mean, the first couple minutes was rough and then it just, it felt natural and it was cool. You know, everybody was really supportive of everybody's talks and they laid it out really well to where everybody's talks kind of complemented each other and we could all pull different pieces and it was incredibly rewarding. I mean, I, that was, I'll say all that came within a year of really getting heavily involved in the whole community part of the automotive industry, going from doing everything by myself, going solo to being thrown in the middle of all this. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. It was a huge honor. Um, I was disappointed that, you know, Vision had to be digital this year, but I really am hoping that they continue the Tech Talks segment because I think you're going to see a lot of really, really cool stuff coming out of that. And it's not just for somebody who wants to be a trainer. I mean, I can't tell you how many guys I've talked to that have case studies, you know, just one case study that we could all learn a lot from, and that gives them a chance to really present it on a larger scale. But it was, yeah, it's, it's a whole different world, you know, doing <laughs> five, 10 guys in a shop to, uh, I believe we had almost a hundred people in that classroom. So I'm like, Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was cool. Yeah. I, uh, you, you know, I, teach in front of students. And when I started that, I was really nervous. I've been doing it for about four years now. So I feel pretty comfortable presenting in front of students. And Mm -hmm. I've never done it, you know, in person with professionals from the industry, especially, uh, you you know, experienced trainers. And and, I mean, at Vision, you got the best there of technicians and trainers. And so I can only imagine (laughs) how that feels, you know, the the butterflies in your stomach. And uh, Mm -hmm. I, I mean, maybe you should have a little bit of that no matter what you should always feel that uh, that energy before you go into something it means you're excited but <laughs> I'd, I'd probably yeah. be sweating through my shirt <laughs> yeah. but the way I figured it with the way that week had been going up to that point I'm like I'm here I made it we're just gonna go with it and really it, the other thing that got me through the fear is and something I've seen a lot in class uh, whenever I go to training classes I'll be that guy that asks every stupid random question because I know there's a lot of people who are too scared to ask that question. And that's kind of what I thought about when I was standing up there teaching was, you know what, I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to say something. I may not illustrate this as, you know, eloquently as I would like to, but that's why I'm here too. This is as much about me getting a chance to present as me learning how to present and mm-hmm. how to help others. And I mean, it was kind of, to me, I may have been the one up there talking, but I was learning just as much, if not more than anybody else in that room. And that's kind of how I try to approach everything. And like you said, that level of excitement, that uh, desire to improve and help other people improve. And that's, I think the worst that happens is I, I only have 20 minutes to bomb. So <laughs> yeah, it's not an eight hour course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think the design of it was really good for somebody who's not sure if that's for them or not. Because mm-hmm. yeah, if nothing else, hey, as twenty minutes now, you know uh, whether you want to pursue it or not. Um, yeah, it's yeah, addicting though. Well, yeah, and and to your point, to uh, teaching anything, man, that that teaches you so much. Uh, teaching is one of the most powerful learning tools as well. Uh, so you get into this stuff and, and you realize how much you don't know and you want to pursue more and you end up learning so much more by trying to teach someone else, mm-hmm. even if it's something basic. So it, it's a pretty cool, uh, you, know, you know, extra benefit 
<laughs> to being able to do this stuff. Oh yeah. When, when you got to present it to multiple different types of people, you got to learn to look at it different ways. And then the question, the questions are always the best part because you get somebody who's looking at it completely differently than you. And you get your own little light bulb like, you know, that makes a lot of sense or no, I don't know why it is that way, but we're going to find out together. So yeah, like you said, it builds you, it builds them. Everybody's a winner. Um, so in your talk, um, you mentioned it was about, you know, reading service information and I, I suggest anybody who's interested, check it out. It's not, you can find it on YouTube. Um, I'll put the links in the show notes to it, but one of the things you, you were talking about and, um, kind of struck a chord with me was the mind mapping, um, mm-hmm. process that you talked about. And it's really just, you know, drawing out your thought process, you know, whether it be through a diagnostic or really, really any process, but we deal a lot with diagnostics. And I really like that. I actually use that with my students uh, when we're getting into diagnostics and they're doing this for probably the first time, a lot of Mm -hmm. them. And I think it's a really powerful tool for, for me and for them, because I have them write it out. I have them write out their thought process even before they even touch the car, you know, they're presented with a problem and how are you going to tackle this? What are you going to do? Write this out, put it on a piece of paper for me and for you and for, for the students. And I think this could apply for anybody. It does for me. I know it allows them and myself as the instructor to see where their misconceptions are, where, you know, they're thinking about something differently or they're missing something or they don't understand something correctly. Whereas, if they're just jumping on the car and doing it, or they're just telling me, we don't always make that clarification. But once they put it down onto a piece of paper, I think it makes a big difference. So I, I think anybody that's doing this stuff, it'd be a good experiment just to try to write out your process, you know, what's going on in your head, put it down on a piece of paper, see how it looks and analyze it or talk about it with somebody else. I think that's, that's such a huge uh, tool to use. Oh, without a doubt. Uh, mind mapping yeah, is one way because think of how complex any given system is. I mean, even if you're just dealing with a basic, well, as basic as any drivability complaint can be, a basic drivability complaint, you got to factor in fuel trims, map or mass airflow sensors, uh, potential for restricted fuel supply. You've got, you know, you really start thinking about it. You've got a lot of different components in any given thing. And until you've developed a strong diagnostic process, you can hop on that car, but you'll you'll quickly lose track of where you are, what you've done, and why you're doing it. And so mind mapping, be it learning a new system, you're sitting at home doing service info, and you start jotting down different system components and just drawing lines out to this does this, this does that, or getting ready to attack a car. Okay, we have these symptoms. We'll pull a First thing I always do is my visual inspection around the car. I don't even pop the hood right away. Then I hook the scanner up. I start running a full code scan. And from there, I start developing my game plan. Now, I don't write everything out all the time anymore. But if it's uh, particularly complex or something I've never done before, I absolutely write it down. And I keep track of it. And I found that makes me consistent. And it makes it repeatable. You can go through, you can find your weak points, your missed assumptions, 
And then you can really build off of that each time because, yes, every car is a job that needs to get done. The customer needs to have it done right at an affordable cost. But that doesn't mean you can't learn from it. Doesn't mean you can't take everything you learned from this one and apply it to this and this and this. So a lot of people say, I don't have the time. I don't feel like it. I don't need to. I still highly recommend you do it. It's your, you, we all invest some degree of our own time and money and effort into training. You're training yourself every day. And if you're not mind mapping, if you're not noting down stuff, even just saving code scans or, or a quick sketch of what you did, you're throwing away invaluable learning opportunities at the end of every day. And you're setting yourself backwards. So to me, it's a huge step and it makes it repeatable. Um, ATG, I believe, in just about every single manual they have, they've got those little troubleshooting charts, a little mind map to help you work through various symptoms. If you spend the time, you develop that for yourself and your process, I mean, you're going to find within weeks of implementing that, that your, your efficiency rate and your ability to understand is just going to start skyrocketing. Yeah, you said it. I mean, it's an investment. That's what it is. You're, you know, you're giving up some of your time and yeah, you don't need to write it down every single time, but that your first time around on something, when you're really being challenged by something, that's the point where, okay, let's take the time here. Let's invest the time and you're going to get a return on that investment later on. I mean, it's the exact same thing as putting money in the stock market. You know, (laughs) you put money in and eventually, hopefully (laughs) you get, you get a return. But I think with this, it's almost guaranteed. You just have to take that time at one point or another and use that, use that one vehicle as training as, mm-hmm. as uh, I, I don't know, you, you couldn't say free training, but it's inexpensive training. As far as a dollar goes, you just got to invest that time and you're going to get a return on that eventually. And that's, yeah, definitely a powerful method to help you along and, and build those skills. Identify misconceptions is one of the big things yeah, I try to focus on for myself and my students is where are you missing something? Where is your thought process? Not what it should be. And that's one of those tools can really help, uh, you know, pinpoint that for you to say, Oh, okay. I didn't think about this. Maybe I should (laughs) try this thing Mm -hmm. differently next time. Um, no, no pictures are good for me. I like pictures. So if I draw it out, (laughs) it works out for me. Absolutely. And it's a, it's a skill. They don't really teach in most automotive training programs or technician training programs in general is not only thinking about it, setting out a a game plan, but uh, like I talked about in my talk, understanding the service information that you're going to use to develop that game plan. I mean, you've got, I could, I could nitpick any manufacturer out there as far as vague, misleading, outright incorrect service info. But engineering talk, I mean, let, let's be honest, some of these system descriptions, you're sitting there, it may be a system you've worked on a thousand times before, but if you really sit there and read that theory of operation, sometimes you're like, I don't know, I, I don't even understand what's going on here. I don't understand what they're trying to say. And that's, that's something I've been really big on because getting myself involved in so many different things especially starting out. And I, you know, I wasn't skilled in them. I didn't have 20 years of experience to fall back on. I learned very quickly how to pull through service info and learn there are times when I need to spend 
half of my initial hour reading word for word the theory of operation. And then there's times where I can skim through and I'm looking for data pits. So I skim through a, a, a mobilizer circuit theory of operation. And I'm just looking for a quick few acronyms, data pits, you know, something I can get together to pull together a picture. Uh, there, there's a quote I really liked. Uh, I, I want to say it was Einstein. If you give me an hour to solve a problem that's life or death, the first 55 minutes will be, you know, preparing to actually do anything. And that's kind of how I approach most things. I'll pull codes. I'll get a general idea of what's going on. And I'll admit, as much as I'm a service info theory of operation guy, I 99% of the time look at a schematic before I ever pull a theory of operation. And that's just to me. There's only so many ways things can be wired. And there's, let's be honest, some cars, 50, 60, 70, 80 modules in them now. To read through the theory on each and every module, trying to figure it out can be a pain. But if we pull up a starting system, we can see where we have direct and indirect inputs, right? We can see our relays. We can see a direct control out from a body control. We can see data lines going over to a trans control or, you know, an instrument panel. And that to me is my first step before that theory of operation. I want to see what all's being thrown together in that circuit. And then I can pick and choose and slowly work my way down the funnels, so to speak. Yeah, you nailed it there. If you are able to read an electrical diagram, which is a skill that you know anybody should have in this field, obviously, but read it to the point where you can understand system operation just by looking at the diagram. That is that is mm-hmm. so important to be able to do that. And and like the time saving and the, the service information that maybe doesn't give you description operation or it's really poor description operation, you can figure out so much just from being able to read that diagram and say, okay, I know this has got to be a signal wire. I know this can't be a signal wire because it's tied into four other wires. It's got to be, mm-hmm. you know, a shared ground or shared power. It can't be the signal wire. Th- those sort of things are so important to be able to do. And you learn that skill and you save yourself a lot of time, but you'll also be able to figure out those systems where they don't lay it out for you, or it's really technical engineering mm-hmm. gobbledygook that you don't understand. <laughs> And it's, it, it's just, there's only so many system designs at the end of the day. I mean, there's, there's infinite variations, but let's think about it. I mean, there's, you've got uh, the Bosch Motronic engine control system, which has been used. <sighs> Bosch Motronic has been used on European, some domestic stuff for decades. You know, there's only so many different sensors. There's only so many different types of ignition coil injector or anything else. And there's only so many ways you can wire them together. And when you really start analyzing what you're doing in the service info, you're fine. You may be working on a Nissan Armada this day and uh, Mercedes Benz the next day, but you'll over time, you'll start to see little things that, you know, systems are set up similarly and it helps you learn. Now the, the pitfall is the, uh, the old debate OE versus aftermarket service info. And I personally found all of them. You will find glaring errors in OE service info that are actually corrected in aftermarket or vice versa. I use all data, uh, ProDemand, Motologic, Identifix, and OE 
uh, service info. And there's still times I've had vehicles. I've had to consult three to four different pieces of service info to piece together enough. And that, that can be time consuming and it can be frustrating that, you know, not only are you learning a new system, well, now you got to be proficient with your pro demand or with your motor logic or your OE. So, I mean, it, the level of complexity just in learning a system or pulling the info you need to correctly diagnose or, or repair a system is pretty overwhelming, which is why I think good reading comprehension and analysis skills is probably, I'd say, top three most important skills for any technician. I don't care if you're the engine R&R guy or if you're the, the top diagnostician who's doing keys and programmings and EE prime work, the, that, that skill set is, you know, to me, top three to make you successful. Yeah. Um, the skill set of just being able to find what you're looking for within whatever service information you're using, uh, that's, uh, that is a valuable skill in itself uh, because, you need to be familiar with the system you're working and okay, maybe it's got a search bar. Uh, you know, the student, the students that I have, they love to use the search bar in pro demand and all data. And it's great. I mean, that, that could be a time saving thing, but a lot of times I'll tell them, I'm like, don't use a search bar, try to find it yourself. Yeah. Because at one point or another, that search bar is probably not going to get you what you need to know, navigate through the actual program. So you know how to find this stuff. You don't know, you know where it's located within the system. You're not just, you know, Googling mm -hmm. it, you know, Google can get us a lot of knowledge, but not necessarily the wisdom that we're really after. So it's the same sort of uh, thing there. Having that is, it, it is a skill set that takes time to learn. I mean, you got to learn these different systems, whichever one you use, but yeah, you probably need all of them nowadays. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting. Uh, I do if I'm in a rush and I, I know the terminology, which is a big thing. So I may be looking for timing chain specs on something. Well, it may not be phrased in a certain bit of service information the way I would phrase it. So until you really start to know, you're better off looking through the manual and learning to find it that way. Almost, uh, It's like learning to use the index in a book. Uh, you got to know the terminology, you got to know the layout, but, you know, Googling it, so to speak, within your service info provider, it'll get you most things. Sometimes it'll pull up something completely unrelated, but you'll also notice if you're looking for uh, immobilizer stuff, a lot of times it's in accessories. You know, you're not going to see it under starting charging. And by learning to go through the segments yourself, you really are better understanding the structure. You can find the information better. And uh, all that, I like using all data because all data gives you the, the linked tree up top, how you got to where you were. Yeah. I share that with people a lot where, you know, I, I help them find uh, Nissan. Nissan gets me every time. The ECM, uh, CAN bus, input-output chart tells you, what modules transmit and receive certain bits of data. Super, super helpful for all sorts of stuff. And it always takes me a minute to find it, but I send people the tree. You know, I say, hey, you know, this is the section it's in. And I just screenshot that, the link tree to let them, okay, I had to go through here, then information bus diagrams. And once, once you start to build those up, you'll find 
you can navigate through that service info what took you 20 minutes before you can find in three minutes you're more likely to use it and when you have good info and easy access to it it's no different than being proficient with your scan tool or your scope or anything else it's a skill we need to develop it's a skill that unfortunately a lot of shops look down on all a lot of shop owners or shop foremen, you know, service writers, whatever, all they see is somebody sitting there typing away on a computer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're buying stuff on eBay. You're wasting time. You're doing, you know, you're playing on the space book there, whatever it is. And there's still a, a pretty heavy push, I think, against taking the time to use service info. Oh, it's, it's a Chevy. They've been using the same head bolt torque for 25 years and until they don't. Well, I know how to time this. You just match this up here, 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 crank. Yep, there goes a few pistons. So it's it's looked down upon. It's not a fun skill. It's not, you know, you're not going to go to the bar and pick up a bunch of girls with your uh, ability <laughs> to quickly read through service info. You yeah. know, it's, it's not as exciting as running 18 channels on a scope, but it allows all those other things to get done and to be useful. Yeah, it's imperative. And yeah, you might look like you're wasting time sitting at the computer or, uh, you know, uh, scrolling through a service information before you even pull the car in. And, you know, people around you get this stuff done fast, obviously, flat rates and productivity. And I've worked at Firestone forever. So I I know how it goes. Um, But again, it's that that investment that... it's worthwhile and you got to understand if you don't understand what you're working on, you got no chance of fixing it. And that's where you're going to find it is in that service information, being able to find it. I mean, one of the things that I always point out that's a good example of this is let's say a manufacturer doesn't give you a great description and operation for a specific system, um, which is the case a lot of the times. Uh, we go through emissions components. We just did that. Uh, so it's mm-hmm. top of mind for me with my students. And like GM, GM's pretty good. They'll lay it out in description operation. This is how the system works and this is how it tests for leaks. Okay. Some other manufacturers, not so good. They'll say, these are the components or they'll say, mm-hmm. it's an EVAP system. It's meant to contain vapors. That's it. And there's not much else. Where do you find information? If you actually go into the DTC information and like the code set criteria and all that stuff, they'll actually explain the system in there rather than a separate description and operation. How would you know that? Well, you got to take the time to actually go through your service information and find that out. And you can learn about how these things are engineered, how it tests the system, how everything works through the code information, Mm -hmm. which doesn't necessarily, that's not intuitive. That doesn't really make sense to me why they set it up that way, but I know where to find it, or at least I know where to check for. I know that that is is something that I can actually find Mm -hmm. in there, you know? To me, it's the, it's the difference between the technical writer who's writing the service info and the software engineer or the system engineer. The system engineer gets to use their fancy terminology and their, you know, for a, a debounce period of five milliseconds and this and that. All that gets to stay in the DTCs. And then the technical writer has to make it pretty and usable and, you know, more easily di- digestible. But the other thing is, where's all aftermarket service info come from? It's basically rewritten OE info. And certain OEs, GM, really doesn't assume a whole lot about your previous education level. 
Whereas I, I found Ford and some of the other ones assume you are a factory trained technician who already has a certain level of knowledge on it. So they're not going to waste their time reprinting that info there. But the, the DTC descriptions, code setting criteria, even the trouble trees, if you're, you read the theory of operation, you read the DTCs, you got weird system symptoms. I found going through those trouble trees, I don't think I've ever followed one start to finish as a, a, a diagnostic routine, but little bits of info in there you'll pull out. And all of a sudden you may see something, you're diagnosing a radio circuit. And then you see notice of, uh, uh, we'll say, check pin four connector C2 on the TCM. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. Why do I care about the transmission when I'm, I'm dealing with the radio thing? Well, there, there's a reason that's there. And they're not going to explicitly tell you, but, you know, that's where you start to analyze and you start to logically think, okay, well, now we're pulling the transmission in in this there's a reason I'm testing this and let's try a few things. And it may be the transmission's wired in because you got a backup camera in your center stack. And so it's going to turn the radio volume down and flip the reverse camera on when you go into reverse. So now, okay, now I, I've got these problems. Can I relate that to that TCM? If yes, great. If no, you continue down. But there, there is all sorts of little tidbits of information that are great there. Um, I know some classes I've gone to have, talk, have talked about this, but I don't hear it talked about a whole lot. Code set criteria is really great for your post-repair verification test drive, too. Okay, most people, we look at it, this is our code set criteria, this is what we're going to test. But on a test drive you really got to go and put it through those same symptoms to run those same DTCs to see if they mm -hmm. come back. I mean, you could drive it from here to Alaska and back again. And if you're not meeting those requirements, you hand it back to the customer. Oh yeah, it's fixed. Two days later, it's sitting back in your bay and it's a rework at this point. Yeah. So it's reading that. So it's really interesting. I remember uh, when I was younger in the field and I was reading that code set criteria and it was a particular vehicle. I don't know if it's a Chevy or Chrysler or something. And it, it was a, like an EVAP leak code or something. I'm reading all the code, mm -hmm. code set criteria. And one of them is it has to be above a certain ambient temperature. And I, I don't remember exactly what it was. We'll say 10 degrees. Well, in Minnesota, there's a good yeah, portion of the year where it's below that. And I was thinking, I was like, you know what? You know, this time of year in the seven years I've been doing this, I don't think I've ever seen one come in you know, for an EVAP leak code that wasn't there prior. Like, I just don't do any EVAP leak codes on these cars during this mm -hmm. time of year. I'm like, well, well, that may, that makes sense. That's really interesting to know that. Um, and if I'm fixing one, I want the monitor to run. Well, that should also be something that I need to know that I can't go park this thing outside in mm -hmm. the middle of February and hope that this thing runs its test. I'm going to have to park it in the shop. So yeah, all kinds of really good information. And when the manufacturer provides that for you, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Of course, there are some that don't. And that can be the struggle mm -hmm. is when they, they leave it kind of vague. I know for me, it's European stuff, but I also yeah. don't work on euros very often. But I struggle when I do because it just there doesn't seem to be <laughs> that level of info when I go looking. There, there is a lot there. There really is. But um, Chris Martino, he does a, a good Volkswagen class. I went to at Vision. And his main thing was you got to think like a German. 
He goes, if you think like a German, it makes, I mean, it really is. It's laid out beautifully. Everything makes sense. Okay. But when you come from a domestic or an Asian mindset, everybody lays it out differently. Uh, Ford and GM are the two easiest. Have you ever looked at the uh, actual OBD2 standards that are available on uh, Ford and GM's website? It, it will take you, yeah, so it's, uh, I can send you the link for it. But uh, Ford within the, the quick links, I believe it is, on the Motorcraft Service Portal, it drills down to ridiculous levels of detail on all your OBD2 code set criteria per year, make, um, year model, engine, transmission, everything. And if you want to learn a lot, it's great, but it's also intermittence. Intermittence or you know, hard, to, hard to duplicate faults in general. There's a lot of info you can pull there. And like that 10 degrees you were talking about, the ambient temperature. All right, well, I'm in Minnesota. It's January. It's not getting above 10 degrees. I can't have this thing sitting inside. How do I confirm I have the fix or how do I make it fall? And you got to get creative. I mean, I, when I was working on equipment, I had tractors that they would complain about a hard start when cold during the wintertime. But summer was the first time they could bring it in. Well, it's 95 degrees in southeastern Pennsylvania. Where am I going to get a 10-degree day? Make a couple phone calls, find somebody with a, uh, a walk-in freezer outside and drive the tractor into it. I mean, you got, sometimes you got to get creative with this stuff. And once again, that service info is where I go to and start picking and pulling little pieces. And what can I do to duplicate it? And what will this do? What will that do? It's the pieces of the puzzle. But you'll, you'll never get there if you don't spend the time to read through it. Right. I'm that guy. I'm the annoying guy. I will beat you over the head <laughs> with a service manual all day long because it was done to me and I, I become a better tech for it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so worth it. Um, what you're saying on Ford, um, I haven't checked out the OED2 stuff, but I know they have a really detailed section about uh, networks and CAN bus. On, mm-hmm. on all their vehicles with, you know, modern vehicles with networks. The first time I saw that, I was like, holy cow. They give, they break it down from like transceived and received messages from every module, you know, that's possible on that network and which one's sending what message to what other one. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you pretty, you really need to be in the weeds to figure out, you know, <laughs> what message is going to which one, but there might be that certain time where, one specific yep. thing's not happening and okay, well, I know it comes from this module um, that I wish <laughs> we had access yeah. to on everything. Wouldn't that be fantastic just to have that engineering I've, level information? Oh yeah. I've had this discussion with a lot of people a lot of times and I've run into exactly two scenarios in my career so far where the only way to prove out the fault was to decode the CAN bus. Okay. Fortunately, both times was when I was working for John Deere and we had the ability to data log the CAN messages and they, you send it to the factory and they basically tell you, hey, it's either A or B. But both of them were two modules. One module was putting an output over the CAN bus. The other was receiving it and then supposed to perform a function. Well, within data PIDs, I've got one uh, module B was... I'll say an incorrect data pit. Module A was a correct data pit. But do I really know? Okay, so module A sees temperatures at 50 degrees. 
Module B is saying it's at 45. The only connection is the network. Is module A reading it correct, sending it out incorrectly, or is module B receiving the information incorrectly or decoding it incorrectly? So there's there's times when you run into it and it's like you said, you gotta be in the weeds and I don't envy somebody who's up up against that. It it is it's fun after the fact, but you I mean you can you can go ridiculously in depth to some of this stuff. And that's something I was just discussing that with a couple of people the other night. Um, how far into the weeds you can get nowadays yeah. with how involved everything is. And now with scopes becoming more and more and more popular again, um, I don't know how much you deal with it on the school level doing scope work at all. But one thing I've seen is there's been a lot of, um, Almost you're, you're loading the gun for people, but you're not teaching them how to use it. You know, you can find intake wave, uh, intake, uh, pressure waveforms and, uh, you know, um, pressure pulse sensors and this, that, and the other thing. I see a ton of that. I see a ton of education on how to perform these tests, mm-hmm. how to perform RC tests, how to perform this, uh, even, even reading scan data. This is how you do it. Not so much on the why. And I, I mean, it's, it's hard. Number one, a lot of us are self-directing our own learning. So it's hard to keep on track and learn that. But I, ju- I just see a lot, you know, you'll see a lot of posts, a lot of questions. So I had this car doing A and I did an in-cylinder waveform and I scoped the CAN bus and I did this. Hold on. Why? And that's kind of what... I would like to see focused on a little more in some things is that the why, why do we do things? Cause I struggled with that. When I started out, I could watch scanner Dan or um, South main auto, Eric O there. I could watch all them. Okay, cool. They pulled up fuel trim. They pulled up mass airflow. They, they scoped this. I get that. I get what they're reading. Why do, why, why or how did they choose to do that test? And I think we lose that a lot. And I think that's another huge part of us going off into the weeds on diags and repairs is we get excited with new things we've learned, but we don't always know how best to apply them. And like I said, I'm not sure on the educator side, I mean, you guys already have your work cut out for you, bringing somebody up to speed for 2020, 2021 vehicles. Yeah, it's it's very tough because the, the car keeps getting, you know, bigger every year, but our time to teach, it remains the same. And so our, you know, our focus has been, you know, get them to be, you know, masters or as close to we can as masters at the basics, you know, basic electrical, um, basic skills. And then, you know, they can take those into their individual careers and build on them. But that's still a tough thing because we got to meet the tasks of the ASE and we got to cover specific things. Um, so yeah, it, it definitely is challenging. Um, you know, one of the things with scopes too is there's so many variables on what you can end up seeing if for mm-hmm. anything, whether you're talking about pressure waveforms with like intake or exhaust, and that's a big one where there's so many variables or, but even electrical, just electrical signals mm-hmm. on a network or something. There's so many different things you can see. And the problem is, is odds are, if you're using a scope, uh, you're going to see something for the first time especially when there's a problem and you're like, well, mm-hmm. okay, is this a problem? Am, am I actually seeing this correctly? And you may have fixed that, that uh, circuit or that system so many times before effectively with traditional methods, but now you're using mm-hmm. a scope and now you're questioning it because you see something that 
well, you wouldn't have saw if you weren't using a scope and it might lead you astray. And those are some of the, you know, the hurdles that we definitely have to overcome when we're using this really advanced testing equipment. Um, Yeah. Intake and exhaust (laughs) pulse waveforms. I I struggle with those. I really do because I see so Mm -hmm. much stuff and I'm like, gosh, I don't know. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And just... The, how in depth you can go with that single waveform um, to the point of seeing uh, carbon buildup affecting the ripples. And, you know, you can see uh, based off of the transfer points when it starts go- switching from high to low, if your cam's slightly, I mean, it's, it's insane. And you can, you can also go crazy trying to analyze every little de- uh, piece of data. Just like, uh, have you ever scoped, we'll say, uh, you know, 2010, 13, whatever Chevy, electronic throttle body a can bus while it's running the can bus i don't think so yeah so scope it key on engine off and then scope it high and low separate channels and then scope it with the engine running and you would swear to god that can bus is garbage the waveforms oh like you're t- okay you're talking about yeah. the the chop yeah i've seen that in a yeah. lot of gms and i've chased my tail on that 100 percent. yeah um it, it's it looks awful it looks terrible mm-hmm. like how can the module read this and i i chased it i was like well it's got to be this uh power steering control module um mm-hmm. but it, it didn't it didn't change anything and it didn't fix my problem so <laughs> no but if, if you go back to service info and i believe i use gm as an example because if i remember correctly they do say they're pretty clear it's a differential signal and the the modules take the difference between them so then yeah, if you yeah. were to, instead of coping scoping the channel separately your positive scope lead on you know can high negative on can low you're now seeing what the computer's seeing which yeah, brings us full circle to code set criteria think like the computer yeah what is what is the computer looking at what is it happy or unhappy mm-hmm. about and try to determine the same thing <laughs> yeah because we'll never software will never make sense to the regular technician as far as why would you ever do that (laughs) and unfortunately we don't get to rewrite the software unless we're tuners so we have to think like the computer but analyze like a good technician and that's kind of the fun of it until they do a software update and everything goes out the window again (laughs) yeah they change it up on you yeah it'll keep you on your toes that's for sure oh yeah well, this is awesome. Um, you got anything else you wanted to touch on? No, no. This was this was a lot of fun. I could yeah. I could go on for two days straight, service info and <laughs> nitpicking everybody. But no, this is this has been a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll have to do it again. Uh, we could pick some uh, specific topics or something, uh, or maybe uh, you know, specific yeah. vehicle or service information platform and go through it. I'd like to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, one more big thank you to Chris for coming on the show with me today. We're going to have to do that again for sure. Like he said, I think we could have gone on for quite a while. Um, Thank you to everyone else listening. And remember the giveaway uh, to check out. I'll have all the details in the show notes. Uh, That'll include the link to Chris's YouTube channel as well, which I recommend everyone checks out. But uh, check out the Uscope giveaway. If you want to nominate yourself or someone else, you can send that to me via Facebook Messenger or email. All that'll be in the show notes, also on the Facebook page. Other than that, let's get out there and start fixing the world one car at a time.